Welcome to Campfire Football. I'm Sebastian North. This is episode 125, World Cup with the Kitmen. So the Kitmen podcast, I was joined by Rohan. He's only one third of the crew, but check their podcast out. They're good. And Rohan was a lot of fun to chat with today. We got together immediately in the aftermath of the World Cup opener between Ecuador and Qatar. My goodness, were Qatar underwhelming. They were bad. And I think it made a lot of people happy, to be honest, because not very many people seem to be rooting for them at all. Ecuador really showed up and I think gave a lot of people something to think about. A lot of people's brackets are going to need to be, you know, edited, possibly, after that. And with the loss of Sadio Mane for Senegal, we'll see how things go. Anyhow, enjoy the episode. Well, Rohan, you're from the uh, Kit Men. Tell me more about the podcast and like yourselves. Just let's just get, get the intros going real quick. Yeah, yeah. So, so my name is Rohan. Um, I'm the host of the Kit Men podcast. We've been doing this for about two years now, um, and I'm excited to be on Campfire Football. And what what would you say your guys' main as a podcast? Like, what do you guys sort of? aim at more what kind of topics do you guys like and what kinds of things just for anyone listening to be like oh okay that's that's something i can get into yeah no so absolutely we uh mainly focus on the premier league but obviously with the world cup happening right now a lot of our focus and intention is going to that we try to do collabs with a lot of other creators and stuff like that so if you ever want to check us out you know where we're at spotify apple Podcasts, all of that all the usuals um well match one of world cup 2022 just ended like 20 minutes ago so we're we've got yep. we got fresh thoughts here i haven't even looked at a, a highlight reel of the game I, I saw i saw what i needed to see what did you think of just as an overall first match of the world cup what what were your just thoughts feelings reactions to from the opening whistle to to the end How, how'd that go for you yeah, so, I mean, I'm glad Qatar lost their first game. Um, first team in history, uh, first host country to ever lose the opening game, I believe, uh, in the World Cup. So so that was already we're making history, which is, which is a great sign. Um, I thought Ecuador were very, very serious. I mean, I might be rethinking my bracket now because, I mean, they look hard to beat. They were very positive. Of course, that Qatar team is not the best. I think in the first half, I saw them string um like more than five passes together maybe three or four times in the game yeah. that was towards the towards the end of the half um but no I was very impressed with Ecuador and very disappointed by Qatar because I know their players have been playing together a lot longer than a lot of other national teams have gotten a chance um too so so I, I'm very interested to see how it'll play out I think personally Qatar could even go throughout this tournament without winning a single game or scoring a goal. By the way, it looked. Today. Or scoring a I goal. Was, I was shocked by, because I, I look. They were in the Gold Cup, like I think it was last year, and and they were pretty impressive. Like technically, really good. They they could move the ball around. Like you, you looked at it, and you're like, okay, these guys will have something to offer when when the World Cup comes around. But my goodness, I mean, for me, the first two three minutes of the game were chaos. There could have been three yellow cards by the fifth minute. Yeah. Then there's the goal that gets chalked off for, and we got to get used to these kinds of offsides calls because this is going to be happening all tournament long. Someone's going to be a like a toe or a kneecap or a nose offside, and it's just going to chalk off goals. So, yeah, I mean, I mean that that's kind of the thing with the with the VAR, right? I mean, it's so frustrating when it's just a toe over, but I mean, at the end of the day, he is offsides and. You know, the rule does state if if he's offside, the goal should be disallowed. So as frustrating as it is, as confusing as the rules are, I mean, I I I'm I actually kind of like VAR or at least the idea of it. I mean, obviously in practice it has its flaws, its issues. But yeah, no, at the end of the day, he was offside. Part of him was offside. As frustrating as it is, as much as we want the first goal to happen to Qatar in the first three minutes, um, you know, not not really much you can do there. No, and honestly, like I, I'm with you. Like the idea of VAR, I, I have no issues with it. I think what was interesting is, I don't know if you picked this up, uh, Clint Dempsey at halftime. He basically was like, "This just feels wrong to chalk off a goal yeah. for that. It just feels wrong." And I, I think there is some part of that, right, where it's like, yes, the rule is being followed, and 
Therefore, this is the correct decision and using technology to make sure it's right is a good thing. But it is kind of funny how you get this feeling like, man, like, really? Like, do you really gain an advantage from like your whole body being behind the person, but you've got a kneecap in front of them? I think that's where a lot of people, there will be goals this tournament that are going to be where that decision will be despised. Whereas this one, I was getting text messages right after that from a few people going, of course, the first goal scored against Qatar gets called off. Chalked off. Yeah. (laughs) And I was like, well, yeah. And then within moments, it was like clear Ecuador were going to be the better team. Enter Valencia, great start, but I don't know. Do you notice the the hit he took that got him injured? Yeah, yeah. That I think Ecuador definitely got to be got to be worried about that one. They don't have you know a, a replacement player where he can come on and bring the same quality. I mean, you saw that header for the second goal. I mean, he made that look really, really easy. That's such a difficult technique. Get it down to the to the goalkeepers to the goalkeeper's right, and then bury it right in the corner as well. Well, and to um, hit it with so, like the side slash back yeah. of your head, he didn't even hit that with his forehead. So. <laughs> I, yeah, the amount of power he generated with it was incredible. And you know they're a really good set piece team; they're really good aerially, yeah. dominant in the air. So I, I think they should be worried. I mean, obviously we don't know the scale of the injury, but um, it de- definitely causes for concern for them. Yeah, and then as for Qatar, like I, look, I don't know. I mean, I've seen them play. Um. At times, I've been impressed with what they can do. Did my just personal view on what I saw in the first, especially the first fifteen minutes, was, and mostly really the first half, they looked so nervous. Like they looked like, yeah. I mean, yeah, you can talk about international caps and experience all you want, but if you've never been in a major tournament, really, where the world's watching you. It's a new experience, and it looked to me like they were really consumed by the occasion. Like, it was just too big. Um, the goalkeeper especially. Yeah. I mean, he had a nightmare first five minutes. Yeah, no, I, I think I think that first five minutes really showed the inexperience of the Qatari players, how how unprepared they are for this tournament, Yeah, really. Um, um, I, I think they should be very scared of a team like the Netherlands, who are going to play very beautiful football and are going to try and carve them apart through the middle uh, and their midfield was basically non-existent for me that entire game i mean if the dutch total football shows up i fear for qatar like like I, I, look i don't like when host nations get embarrassed as a team because one thing i've noticed about the world cup is that if a host nation does well what it does do is keep the vibe in the country like a little higher like I, I was in Russia for 2018 and I was pretty convinced Russia were going to suck. Right. And, yeah. th- and then they made it to the round of 16 and were knocked out on penalties by uh, Croatia. And I mean, the country was totally just happy. I mean, you'd go through the streets and people were just excited. Oh my God, we're in the next round. And like, there was this vibe of positivity that was always in the air because the host nation's doing well. If the host nation bows out real early you kind of like looking around like, oh, well, we're all walking around your your country and you guys are sad and blue. It's like it just it's a different vibe. I've always that's just one of the reasons why I felt Qatar as a host country back when it was awarded made little sense because I was like, they're the odds are they're gonna get thrashed. And that never looks good for a host country. Like if you're setting up a tournament, you kind of don't want the home team to suck. But here we are. So they're just gonna take the beatings that they get. Um they might not score because now they have to play against the a pretty ruthless defense of Senegal. And then, I mean, the can of whoop-ass that the Dutch might be able to bring on them. I, I'm, yeah, they, they've, they've got to be a little worried at this point because this was yeah, no, really I mean, their opportunity, wasn't it, this opening game? that They got the easiest matchup that they could have in Ecuador um, for, for, their, for their first game. And they got to be scared. I mean, Ecuador is already a hard team to beat. Then you have a very stingy Senegal side. And you have a Netherlands side with Van Dyke as the anchor back there. So um, it's not looking too good for Qatar. Yeah. Well, and I, you know, just from everything I've heard, people talking, everyone, no one's really, there's no one really rooting for this team. So whatever, whatever, whatever they, however they end up is how they end up. And I, it's almost maybe like the earlier they're out, probably the better for just the overall talk of the international community, because it is, a little frightening 
Because look, I, for me, I, I, the one thing I really don't like is when illegitimacy of games and calls becomes like the norm. Like people are just calling everything out as fixed or a scam or cheating. Like then the whole game, like then the whole competition just feels like a waste, right? Like if so, but everything that has to do with Qatar is going to be viewed with some kind of controversy. And so if they're kind of out of the picture, at least it just sort of takes that black cloud from a lot of the conversation away you know just kind of okay no one's getting a clear advantage anymore we, we don't have to worry about the bribery thing anymore like it would just be nice for those narratives to just not be around you know as we go deeper into the competition because imagine they're in a you know round like they they make it to the second round and then there's a couple controversial decisions that go their way well now everyone's going to be convinced like that it's yeah you know like foul play basically and you know, for the good of the sport, I'm like, can we just not end up in that situation? You know, just, just, just hoping, hoping everything goes better. Um, so that's that's the opening game, Group A. There wasn't really much to say about it, really, aside from Ecuador were just significantly better. Um, Qatar were very underwhelming, and uh, we'll see what happens from here on out in that group. Oh, I was just gonna say, yeah, it's kind of like what we expected going into the game uh, happened. So, I mean, there's not much you can really say uh, about the game. Yeah, it wasn't super thrilling. Hopefully we'll get some, uh, hopefully we'll get something more exciting tomorrow. And so speaking of tomorrow, three huge games. Uh, I'm not going to lie. The one I'm most excited for is Senegal, uh, Netherlands, because there's, to me, that feels like the most even high caliber matchup of the day. Uh, and then you've got Group B, which involves England, Iran, and then Wales, USA. So, of the three games tomorrow, what what are you looking forward to most? And maybe each specific game, what what what, what are you looking into? So each specific game. Um, so I, I guess I should start with which game I'm looking forward to the most. Um, given I'm in London right now, I'm gonna have to say England because I'm very excited to go to a pub here, check it out, see what the vibes are. Um, all of that. But for each specific game, what I'd look for uh, with the Netherlands-Senegal game is how exactly Senegal are going to come out and play because they try and play a lot of long ball. And I don't know how effective that'll be, you know, in an international tournament, especially when you have such, you know, good center backs. Um, but on the Netherlands side, my main concern for them is their midfield. I mean, aside from Frankie de Jong, there's not a whole lot going on there. Um so, so I want to see how their midfield links up, how they, how they play, if they can play that Dutch football that you kind of talked about, um, with England, uh, Wales, in, uh, not England, Wales, excuse me, USA, Wales. What concerns me the most with the U S is the defense. I think this is the core of a team that could in maybe next world cup or world cup after that make us fairly deep run, but their defense for me is the absolute biggest concern. Um, the fullbacks as well. There's, it's just very, very shaky. And, you know, with a Welsh team that has Dan James, Gareth Bale, a lot of quick experienced players, I think they might be getting cut open. It'll be interesting to see. Also, Wales are famously very defensive. And I'm interested to see what the manager is going to bring in terms of his play style, how he's going to approach the game. With England-Iran, I want to see England's starting lineup because I, I think that's going to kind of set the tone for a lot of the other games in the tournament. Um, so I kind of want to see how he sets up. If he's so negative against a team with Iran, maybe more forward-thinking players get a nod for this uh, to start the game. But yeah, that, that's what I'm looking for. And you mentioned the, the uh, defense, like sort of the back line for the U.S. and where the, that's... Uh... A problematic area I, I do agree I think in a lot of other areas they're good I will say though who is gonna who's gonna score the goals for the U.S. national team in this tournament yeah yeah it's interesting um sometimes you'll play Pulisic through the middle maybe Weston McKinney making the odd third man run maybe Aronson making that odd third man run but I, I honestly don't know um I think maybe they'll come out with kind of a Red Bull style, Red Bull coaching style approach, kind of, you know, high press end to end, 
um, all of that, but I don't see it working too well against a Welsh team. So I don't know if you've heard this. There's a statistic that was floating around, and I, I haven't. I'm not going to say this is 100% true, but from what I read, it was like when the United States has more possession, more than 50% possession of the ball, they don't do well. Like their results are really not good. And when they have less of the ball, their results are much better. Um, going into the Wales game, yeah, what's the approach? Is the approach give Wales the ball or not give Wales the ball? Because I, I hate when people say that. That's that, that's totally ridiculous. You don't give the other team the ball. But, you know, allowing Wales to sort of have the ball, come out a little bit, maybe try and play a little direct and support and win second balls, and then you can catch them on the break. Or, you know, does the U.S. want to go out, establish possession, establish territory, and try and boss the game? What do you think? I personally don't think that's a good game plan. I think you kind of got to be okay with withdrawing the Welsh team out a little bit and then going in behind. I mean, you look at those players, Brendan Aronson, Tyler Adams. Um, obviously, they play for Leeds, very end-to-end. They're not a possession-based team. Pulisic as well, he's not a possession-based player. None of the American players who were in the attack are really very good in possession. So I think that is why they, they don't perform well when they have over 50% of the possession, which that that's a really interesting stat actually. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think they really need to draw out that Welsh team, but that Welsh team, when I see them play in tournaments, I don't watch them often, but when I see them play, they're very defensive. They're very happy to sit back, absorb the pressure, kind of hit on the counter. And it's going to be interesting which which game plan gives way first because if if the U.S. fullbacks get a little bit greedy, start pushing up, they're going to get scorched in behind. But if the Welsh kind of feel a sense of danger with the Americans and push out a little bit more, they they might be open up themselves. Yeah, I mean, it seems like this is going to be a really interesting chess match because it's such a key game for these two teams. Like, yeah, I, I don't really know what. The players think, um, I think I'd imagine that they're just like, look, game by game, this is the World Cup. You have to respect everybody. I imagine that's what the players and staff think. Um, from the outside, most people are under the impression that Wales is like, you know, the second slash, th- like the third best team in the group. And that Iran are going to be cannon fodder. Uh, something I don't really agree with. Um, I think everyone is taking Iran very, very, very lightly, whether it's in England or the United States. Um, not that I think Iran are going to run out group winners or anything, but to consign them to last place. I mean, I've heard this from everyone, like that Wales is the game. That's the crucial one. Then if you can get a result against England, great, beat Iran, you're through. And it's like, is that really, is that really sort of the way to look at it? And I, I, I've, I've mentioned this a bunch of times. The last time the United States and Iran played each other in a World Cup was 98. And Iran won. So uh, scoreboard does not indicate that the United States uh, really has the leg up on this one. Um, and they're a stingy, stingy team defensively, yeah. Iran. And and it, I think a lot of people forget, too, that in 2018, they were about – they were like – a chance they had a Mediterranean had a huge opportunity like two minutes from the end of the game. I believe it was against Portugal. And had he scored, Portugal would have been out. Iran would have been through. And the way we talk about Iran today might be completely different. Right. Yeah. 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 No, absolutely. I mean, look at it from Iran's perspective. If they can get one win off of Wales or, or USA, they could very possibly be through on three points. I mean, if if the U.S. loses to England and then draws to Wales, I mean, and and then loses to Iran as well, U.S. aren't going through. Um, so cool. so it's going to be very very interesting, and that's kind of the beauty with the World Cups is you never know what's going to happen. Um, I, I'll, I'll be honest, I have Iran dead last in my in my predictions because. I tend to go with the with the favorites with my predictions, but yeah, like you said, you absolutely do not know. And this Iran team does have a little bit of firepower. Well, and you never know as well how things back home uh, affect the team, right? Like, does the political situation back home and the amount of questions they're going to be getting in press conferences does that, you know, kind of 
create a dour mood in the camp or does that galvanize them and bring them together in this sort of like, all right, siege mentality, the whole world hates us, whole world hates our country, we're doing this for our people, or will it be just sort of a divided camp? Like, we just, we don't really know. No, you don't. Yeah. And I, I think those are important things to remember. I think in, I think it was uh, 2000, I think it was 2010, Portugal were bounced out in the first round and things looked bad. And I think about a couple years later, a friend of mine, he was like, yeah, actually, uh, my aunt, she's a photographer, sports photographer, and she's uh, was brought along as one of the photographers for the Portuguese team during the World Cup. And her review was everyone hated the situation. People didn't like yeah. the coach. There was just a divide. And on the field, it was pretty clear. And France, that same World Cup, were were god awful. That's the one where they they let they didn't get off the bus. They let you know, and 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 you could see again the tension and rifts between coach, players, and staff, and everything. And we just don't really know at this current juncture which teams are going through that. We will only find out either when they play or after they're out. But yeah. I think Iran is an interesting one in that sense. There's a little bit of a it could go either way. Right, they could either come out and be swashbuckling and terrific, or they could just look disjointed and disinterested. So, and we just have to wait and see. Yeah, exactly. And then, I guess for the United States, it, one thing that you said that was really interesting: you're like, we're not really a possession team. And because we don't really have possession players, which I couldn't agree more. I mean, I, I, I've i been saying banging on this drum for a while. We're a very good athletic team. We are not a high yeah. quality yeah. technical side. We just aren't. And a guy like Christian Pulisic and a lot of the guys playing in Europe, Gio Reyna as well, they sort of give people this idea. Oh, my God, we've got stars. Yeah, no. So it's kind of I mean, how do we temper our expectations in that way? I think we need to come way back down to to the earth. Uh, we we need to see, you know, Pulisic, Reyna, McKinney. They might be playing on the biggest teams in the world, but they're definitely not the best players on that team. They're 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 fighting for minutes in in these teams. They're a lot of a lot of the, I think a lot of the reason that goes into buying a player is to get American attention. I mean, now you'll see Bleacher Report and all these other U.S. media outlets post about the players that when they do score that five goals a season they get those five posts and you're like oh juventus now it's in your mind juventus is getting u.s media attention um so so i think that's partially a lot of the reason that that these american players are bought um but then we have a little bit of quality like players like tim ream i think he's been very very good for fulham consistent starter week in week out aronson adams leads don't perform without those two very crucial players yeah i agree um so I think realizing the realistic expectations is is the first step. Um, the second step is we need to have a culture, a style. I mean, you see England is developing one with Southgate. The fans don't love it, but you know what England are going to do when they come out. Spain, yeah. you know what they're going to do when they come out. France, you know what they're going to try and create when they when they come out. They're going to try and feed it in through their star players up front. Uh, the U.S., really what are we going to do i mean no one knows we could play long ball we could play that red bull style coaching where it's just end to end but the risk with that you know it's a world cup group stage you only get three games if if you mess up once or twice that could be tournament over so do you want to play in conservative do you want to take it to them it's going to be interesting well i'm glad you mentioned that too because I, I was i had a I was talking to the guys from Lads podcast a couple episodes ago and we had a conversation about like the culture and identity of the US team and how it seems to not like no one really knows what it is. And my response to that was well if you look at any country like countries that do well at the World Cup you look at the way the team plays and it gives you sort of a vibe of well that was that that's the culture of the country as well. Yeah. Right? I mean you looked at Ecuador today. It's not about high-level technicality. It's about energy, high pace. I mean, that's why they play the way they do at home in Quito. They run teams into the ground. You yeah, know? And, hardworking, hardworking in the midfield, tough tacklers. I mean, yeah. 
and and they know it. They know who they are. Uh, they create chances the way they want to. I mean, they're set pieces today. It was like, all right, we're putting this right on top of the goalkeeper. Yeah, or exactly. we're putting this right in a danger area. Driven balls, like they weren't even bothered curling them in, or no, no. they was mm, missiles right across the box. Just put it up there. Uh, the, the tackling in the first twenty minutes of that game. I mean, yeah, Ecuador are here to to do Play. it, and and yeah. and then yeah, like we've got you know Spain, like you said, they know exactly what they want to do. Germany, I don't think have any any issues with what they are intending to do. Brazil, Argentina, these are teams who know exactly who they are. And for the U.S., I've always said, like, look, embrace the fact that you're an underdog in this game. Like, in other sports, we can say we're the superior force. We're coming in. We're going to win. But we can't do that here. And so what does it mean? Well, the underdog story is one of the things that is actually culturally most beloved in our country. Like, we love yeah. underdogs that become winners. But the underdog doesn't become a winner just because they got talent. They become a winner because they worked hard. They were opportunistic. And when there was an a chance to make something amazing happen, a miracle, they do it. And I've said, like, that literally is what the American dream is. Like, the yeah. essence of our culture is the American dream. It's making something out of going from nothing. Yeah. Yeah. You, you come from nothing. You don't have any. But you use your ingenuity. You use your hard work, your ethic, you know, your intelligence and your ability to yeah, to grind and be opportunistic. And I think that is what will make the U.S. successful in this World Cup. Whatever success means, I'd say getting out of the group would be huge. Actually, it would be huge if they got out of the group. I don't think people are quite understanding how big of a deal that would be. Because think about it. Half the teams that show up are gone after three games. So it's like a yeah. pretty rough 50% and yeah, you're out. You is. know, So like getting past that initial cut you know i mean this is the first round is like the uh is like the first episode of squid game right where they've got the the red yeah. light green light thing and like half the people are just half gone, gone. <laughs> so it's like can you get can you get through red light green light and and if you beat that side of it then then maybe you can go all the way to the end but i, I i'm glad you mentioned that and i think uh it's an interesting thing and you're right now you're based in london uh you're studying abroad there you're getting a dose of what uh, English culture is right now going into the World Cup. It seems as if the vibe from the outside is unsure, right? Because they're not going in with the best form. People don't fully trust Southgate, but they kind of do. From what you've seen, what's what's your overall read on the vibe in England? So they're very pessimistic, I would say. Um, is the vibe I was able to go typically to English. England versus sorry that's typically English it's very typical. yeah no that is typically English but they're they're more pessimistic than I thought they'd be I, I was able to go to Germany England that, that was a really really good game that that was I think the only game that England scored goals in in the nation Nations League um, that's right but what interested me was throughout that Nations League Garrett South Southgate was trying different things and Garrett Southgate is a manager who knows what he wants and what he's going to do, kind of ignoring what everyone else says, which is fine. I mean, he he's the manager for for a reason, but that doesn't fill me with a whole lot of confidence, you know, putting Bakayo Saka at left wing back. We know that doesn't work. He's moved out of that from Arsenal. Then you're putting him back there and then they get scorched. So, I mean, it's... I also have my questions around him, but I understand why he would want to come out with a defensive approach. Like I said, like you said, it's 50% after three games, you're gone. Um, you can, there's not really a whole room for error. So the more negative you are, the less room for error you're going to have. But no, the, the climate here is is fairly pessimistic. A lot of people have been saying I could see them go out in the group stage. Would it be completely surprised? Even though I think the bookies put them at... Uh, at um, third favorites to to win the whole thing so uh yeah alan that feels like a little bit of a stretch to me and also because and i don't i'm I'm sure there are plenty of people who if they're if they're being pessimistic i'm sure they've thought sort of thought this through that in the last two tournaments their knockout round games have been so much easier than if they were on the other side of the bracket absolutely true i mean the 2018 yes. world cup was like I remember before they played Belgium in the final group stage game, people were like, we need to throw this game because the other side looks insane. You got France, insane. you got Argentina, you got Bel you know, you, you Brazil, like, 
And on this side, you got Denmark, you got Croatia, you got Russia, you know, and it was like, I remember people saying that last group game, they were so happy to lose to Belgium. And that really did help. Uh, it did. They didn't play very difficult games until they played Croatia. Meanwhile, France had to go through like Argentina, Uruguay, Belgium, and the best of the best. And I think that's what sets you up for a final. But then, you know, England, I think in the Euros as well, the Euros was a cakewalk in a lot of ways for them. They played almost every game at home, aside from the game against Scotland. Um, and we're underwhelming the whole way. So I think this is what kind of is in people's minds that like, yeah, we've done well, but we've never really looked like the best team. So yeah. Yeah. Be really no, that, that's true. That that's true. I mean, I think personally they're obviously I think personally they're not gonna win this tournament. I have Argentina winning it all, but Same. um yeah, no, I, I want to see Messi, but I think Euros was their best shot. I mean, they traveled the least out of any teams. A majority of their games were at home. Um, they had fairly easy um, uh, matches up until the final. And I mean, the final itself, they took it literally as far as you can go without, without winning. Um, but if we follow the trends from the World Cup and Euro, hypothetically, they, they should be winning this World Cup. But personally, no, nah, I don't see it happening. Well, we will see. I mean, they're lucky enough to not have – they're probably the only country that has not had major players ruled out through injury. True. I mean, the amount – the news yesterday – so my, to give you more context, my mother's from France. My father's from England. I'm a pretty big France fan, and the injury list there is Large. astounding. I mean, Kante, yeah. Pogba, and now Benzema. It does not – it doesn't get – it almost doesn't get much worse. Um are there any other players that, I mean, Benzema for me is probably one of the most disappointing Nkunku. ones to lose. And Kunku, yeah, there's another one. Any other players that have that are not going to be playing that you're really that you really were excited to see? Honestly, Giovanni Lacelso. I think he is very very important um, mm. for for Argentina, and they don't have a like like a like for like replacement with him, and. Seeing his growth from Tottenham to now, now from from kind of a dribbler, kind of Rodrigo Bentacore profile to now a player who actually gets stuck in, who will go cleats up uh, for a tackle, <laughs> and that's kind of what a lot of that Argentina midfield possesses with you know Rodrigo De Paul and other players like that. A lot, a lot of that passion. Um, so, so I think that's a big hit for them. That's an interesting one. Not one, no one. I haven't heard anyone say that about Lacelso. That's a that's a good. Good shout. I mo most people would were uh, have been talking about Sadio Mane, which that is unfortunate. I mean, that's that's going to have uh, that's going to have an impact for sure because he's oh yeah, just, and we've seen how him not being at Liverpool changed the way they press. They just lose a certain level of class and quality up front. Um, think I'm trying to think of other players that that are out, but it's uh. Instead of doing that, let's focus on a few of the players who are definitely going to be there. Is anyone anyone you're really excited to see that, you know, aside from the massive names like Mbappe, Messi, Neymar, are, they, are there any more sleeper picks that players that you really like that you're stoked to to get an eye on? Yeah, so I think um, what I look forward to for international games is the wingers because so much of international play is so slow because teams are so conservative. They don't want to you know like you said 50 percent gone after three games if one one mistake and they're gone so wingers are for me the best to watch at a world cup or international game because they're so direct they'll take it to the defender so for me it's got to be rafael leao i think Ooh. he's going to be the make or break for that for that portuguese team love that one that's great uh i i i uh i was reminded of one player that i was like yeah we're, we're going to be we're going to be hopefully given a treat. And that's Angel Di Maria, who basically has yeah. done nothing at PSG this whole season, but is in no. tip top shape right now. Um, I don't know if you saw the hat trick he scored against, I think, uh, I think it was the UAE, Argentina, yeah. their, their most recent mm -hmm. friendly. And all three of his goals were like just a stunning and all in oh, different, yeah. Class different is permanent. Goals. Class is permanent. 
And so I'm excited to see what Di Maria, uh, what Di Maria, like how many more highlights he adds Can to he his reel. Because yeah. the dude's reel is on, it's it's unbelievable. Yeah, no, it is, it is. I'm excited to see him too. Yeah. Um. So what 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 clubs do you sort of more or less support? Who who who? What clubs are you a fan of in in just the regular game? So in England, Manchester City. Um. I'm pretty open in Spain. Love, love Madrid. Love Barcelona. Can't hate either. Um, and in Italy, I like Roma, but Napoli have been very, very impressive this this year. So okay, then as a Man City fan, there's a lot of players going. Um, yeah, and and some big, big, big game changing type of players. What do you think about De Bruyne? What, what do you think he's going to bring to the table? So I wouldn't be completely surprised if Belgium go out in the group stage, to be honest. For mm. for me, they're not that impressive. There's not a whole lot going on outside of De Bruyne. Um, Lukaku is very hit or miss. He's like just coming off an injury. I don't think Trossard is going to be super impressive, even though he's in good form. Um, I think maybe Jeremy Doku might do well, but... I mean, doesn't really matter. I don't think he's gonna he's gonna put Belgium on his back and score. That defense is very shoddy. Um, so I wouldn't be completely surprised if they go out in the World Cup. I'm honestly just hoping everyone stays healthy. Holland is, you know, in his cryo chamber resting. So so that that that's completely fine by me. Glad to not see him at at, at the World Cup. Um, but no, I think we have one of the most amount of players going. I think like United 16 and then we're 17 and I think maybe Madrid is just ahead of us. I think Barcelona now have the most. Oh, Barcelona maybe. Yeah. And it was it was Bayern with 17 and then Mane was out and then Barcelona called in Alejandro Balde yeah. which makes yeah. it like 18 or something. So yeah, and and City I think yeah, it's like 16 or something like that. Um I actually one of the players that one of my favorite players to watch at Man City is uh, Ilkay Gundogan. Just yeah. the timing of uh, of his midfield runs, he's yeah, he's a supreme genius in my opinion. Off the ball movement, um, that Germany team, I personally think is being slept on. I would I put them in my top four, right? I I go Argentina, Brazil as a top two, and then Germany, Spain slash Spain slash Portugal. But I, I've got Germany third, really, as my third favorites. Uh, what do you think about that? What do you think about the German team? Um, it, they they confuse me. You know, I I wouldn't be surprised if they went out on the group stage. I wouldn't be surprised if they made a deep run. I wouldn't be surprised if they were in the final. Um, you never really know. You look at the team sheet and you're like, there's a lot of very very talented players, but then they go out and play, and you're like, this is so disappointing. And I think a large part of it is a lack of width that they play with. Um. I really think if they incorporate a lot more width, they'll do a lot better because they have sensational wide players, but they kind of yeah. just bunch five guys at the top of the box and they're like, okay, now play. And it doesn't really work. I mean, you would think when you have Serge Gnabry and Leroy Sané in your team, you just say, yeah. you, right touchline, you, left touchline. Exactly. Get, get out of the way of... Uh, Musiala, Kimmich, Goretzka, just get out of their way. Stay out wide. Let Kai Havertz kind of hang around the middle. Just stay in front of the goal. You two do damage out wide because that that's, you know, and your point on wingers are going to be so crucial. If they do play those guys super wide and they're able to to do what they do, uh, yeah, that, that really could be one of the things. But, yeah, if they bunch into the middle, I agree that there, there's – Who's who's going to really put the goals away from Miro Close is no longer around, so yeah, that's an interesting one. How about young breakout stars? Is there anyone you're looking at? You're like, this is going to happen. Kind of. Um, I think for a majority of the young breakout stars, they're kind of already playing. You know, you have Pedri, you have Javi, you have yeah, Musiala, sure. you have like even you could go as far as to say Foden and Saka, who are kind of already international stars, but. That's the thing with breakout players, right? No, no one can really predict them. They just kind of break out. Um, so, so it it'll be interesting to see. Um, who impressed me last uh, international tournament in the Euros was Jeremy Doku, but like I said, 
you know, that could be a one-off thing. Um, but just given his directness, I think maybe he could grab a goal, maybe an assist as well, um, this tournament. But no, there's no one in particular where I'm like, wow, this is their chance to like move on to a big club. I would say Zhao Felix, but I mean, like I said, he's already very, very, very expensive. So I'll throw one out there. Someone who, because of the way he looks and how talented he is, people have had their radar on him since he was like 13 or 12. And that's Xavi Simons from, uh, from oh, the Dutch yeah. team. Because uh-huh. ever since he was at PSG, you'd always see these videos of this insanely talented kid with his big, blonde, yeah. curly hair. And uh, and he's in the squad, and he's been killing it at uh, PSV this season. So I- I'm really looking forward to him because he's a player that I've we've heard about for years. Mm-hmm. And then the other one who's actually in the German side, and it's not Jamal Musiala, it's Mukoko. Because uh, Mukoko was... I think it was when he was like 11 or 12, he was playing with the under 14s at Dortmund and he always had been playing two levels up. And every single time yeah. he just goes in and just puts in just goals, 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 goals. Yeah. Now at the senior level as an 18 year old, I think it'd be really interesting to see what, I mean, he's one of those kids that's like been considered a phenom from when he was like little, like everyone has been like, he is going straight to the top, right? Like I've heard about him. Since before I, you know, I heard about him at a younger age than almost any other major superstar. Like, I didn't hear about Mbappe until he was 16, 17. Yeah. Yeah, no, the only one who comes in comparison is, like, Odegaard. But because he, yeah, he's been around since, like, he, he's 13. That's why it feels like he's, like, 34, but he's still in his early 20s. I know, actually, that's the crazy thing is looking at some of the ages of players. I was yeah surprised at how young some of the guys not young but like there's guys who are like 28 and you're like i thought they were 35 now you know yeah what I mean? exactly so it, and actually the, the the belgian team you know looking at the ages i was like oh it's like the oldest player is like toby aldevero at 33 you know it's yeah it's not as like ancient as you kind of think because this team has been together for so long so long yeah so long it's yeah, that's a wild one. And so you're you're you want Messi to win. Yeah, is that are you and I both in that same camp? We just want to see that see him lift the trophy. I just want to see it. It just needs to happen for me. Yeah. I, I look, I'm totally with you on that. Um I'm I'll spare you the uh Ronaldo or Messi question because I feel like I already know the answer then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, honestly for me, even if Ronaldo wins this World Cup, I think Messi's done enough to 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 make himself the goat that Ronaldo winning a World Cup won't really make a difference. I mean, for me, Lionel Messi's the best player I've ever seen. I've n- I just oh, yeah. have never seen anything like it. And that's over the course of the last 15 years. So he's shocked yeah. me since I first saw him, and it's not stopped since. So, And I'm actually stoked for him that, that Argentina get to warm up because their first game is against Saudi Arabia, who are perennially terrible in the World Cup. Yeah, they're not good. And they don't look good now. I mean, I, they're they're friendly against the U.S. I was like, man, the U.S. don't look good, but Saudi Arabia are not yeah. going to bring – I don't Abysmal. think they're going to bring anything. And so I'm, I'm just kind of looking at it. I'm like, how many goals is Leo Messi going to score in the opening game? You know, I mean, yeah, just yeah, to get you, the ball it, rolling. Yeah, it's a good warm-up game for sure. And and then I, I really want to ask you your, – your, the way you see Brazil, because I think this is the best Brazil team I've seen since 06 when they had like the whole, like guys that won it in 2002. And then they also had uh, the generation of just ridiculous talent that was just floating around at that time. Uh, To me, this looks like the most balanced and solid. And also they've got the flair. They've got every side of it. Like they've got the bastards in midfield, you know, and then they've got just, a set of frontline players that I, what on earth do you do with? So are you looking forward to the, the Celisau? Yeah, no, definitely. I am. Um, I, I really love this Brazil team. They're also very, very competitive um, for, for that world cup trophy. But I think my main concern with them is their fullbacks. Um, there's not a lot going on there. So I would be inclined, yeah. honestly, to start Martinelli because of his work rate, his willingness to to work backwards, 
and press high up the field. So I think putting Martinelli in is kind of crucial. You might lose a little bit going forward, but I feel the rest of that front line makes up for it that you can put Martinelli in and what he offers defensively um, offsets what what he what what you kind of lose if you would play like Rafinha in yeah, that yeah. position. Um, personally, I wouldn't play Anthony. I think you need someone who's a lot more different. Who, who'll do different things. He won't just cut in on his left and then cross or shoot. Like I mean, that's really the only thing Anthony can do. Um, so I would go Rafinha on the right, Martinelli on the left, or you can switch those wingers. What up? Whatever you want. Um. Honestly, I'd be okay with Richarlison up top because you you need a little bit of box in the box threat, and I don't think Jesus really offers that. And then obviously Neymar behind behind that front three, and I mean you're kind of you're kind of set. That that's a terrifying attack. No room for Vinny Junior. <laughs> um, and there's the problem with Brazil. You're like, oh, God, yeah, I forgot about him. <laughs> yeah, I did forget about him. I Yeah. So for me, Rafinha doesn't start. Um, and then maybe you bring him on in, in the last couple of minutes to make something happen. But yeah, like you said, I mean, I forgot Vin- Vinny. I can't believe it. Um, there's just so much talent in that attack, but there's not a lot in, in that defense. Yeah. And I, I, I've been thinking, I, I think Vinny Jr. has a real opportunity to be the top goal scorer in the tournament because Neymar is going to drag so much attention. I mean, Neymar just, just so difficult to deal with, especially if they kind of give him a floating role where you can just go mm-hmm. and pick up the ball in different Anywhere areas. On the field, yeah. And then you got two wingers who are, you know, whether it's Rafinha or Martinelli on the right, Vinny on the left. And I, I like, I like what you're saying for Charleston at center forward makes a lot of sense. Cause you, th- therefore you have a presence in the box. That's going to be annoying. For defenders and he's a good yeah. presser and um and then if you got Neymar sort of floating around and then you can have a midfield of Casemiro and Fabinho or Fred and just tell them sit there and just let the front four do their work I would honestly go with um Gumares, Bruno Gumares. oh of course yeah again see see there there I go forgetting yeah. about yet another like world-class level player and then th- that's that's the thing about Brazil is uh once again I think it's just just an awe-inspiring unit. And I think the sad thing is that if Brazil and Argentina both win their groups, their crash course to meet in the semifinal, which they I, are. it's a final of Argentina-Brazil is kind of like the dream in certain ways. But we won't get... Yeah. We, we, we might get that. I mean, who knows? What if Serbia, you know, find a way to win their group against Brazil? Yeah, I mean... Say saying that sounds sounds wrong. Something sounds sounds off with that, but I you never know. You never know. I don't want to discount anything because you never know. And and you're right. This is one of the things about the World Cup. Like one of my friends sent me his like bracket, and I was like, you just went one two with every group, and it doesn't work that way. Like no, it's it so rare that it goes that way. And and Never the does. other thing is that the tournament favorites rarely win. The good news is this time there's like four or five teams that you can lop into that, and you really don't know who's going to be the best. Um. Yeah, I mean, I, I I'm curious. I, do, do you another team that I love getting people's opinions on is uh, Croatia, because finalists last time around uh, won their Nations League group recently that had France and Denmark in it. Still a great team. Luka Modric, I still consider him probably one of the top five midfielders on the planet, even at 37. Do, do you think Croatia are sort of end of a cycle here? Or do you think they'll they'll show something? Do you think they'll come back in and uh, and do some damage? I think they have the potential to do some damage. I've never really been a fan of their defense. And, you know, they've gotten a couple years older. There's... They don't have Manzukic anymore. The attacks not as strong, but I mean they've been performing well goal scoring wise recently. But I feel it's coming towards an end of a cycle. I know a lot of people are big fans of Croatia, um, but I think that's just a little bit of nostalgia from that from that last World Cup and how, the terms that they went out with in the Euros against Spain. Um, oh yeah, because I mean if that Unai Simon 
own goal or whatever, who, whoever got credited with that own goal doesn't happen. I mean, they're down and out for the count in, in that game. Um, But yeah, no, there's not a whole lot going on there. I mean, Perisic is going to be imperative. Modric is going to be imperative, but they're also in their mid to late 30s. So this is kind of really their last shot at World Cup, I would say. I mean, there's always the Euros, um, but even that, you never know. Yeah. And so then who do you think will be this this edition's version of what Croatia were last time? And I don't necessarily mean make it all the way to the final because that was already surprising enough. And based on the bracket that we had in 2018, one side was not the same as the other, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So is there a team that's sort of in that sort of, you know, that middle tier that you think could really surprise a lot of people, maybe make it to the semifinal? Uruguay. Uruguay, honestly. I think they're very, very big sleepers. They're tough to beat. They have a lot of grit in that team. Their midfield is very, very good. I think Ben Decor is one of the most underrated players in the Prem. I love what he does. He's solid defensively, wins the ball back, efficient in his tackling, can break forward, beat his man off the dribble, feed it into the forward players who are going to be looking to get in behind, and that's going to be Federico Valverde, who, as we know, is in sensational form coming into the tournament. Um, Darwin Nunez is interesting. I mean, he's either, he, he might score or he might take a half volley, um, and just miss the goal entirely. Um, but you also have Luis Suarez, who's gonna, you know, be, be looking, this is kind of his last shot to be honest. Oh, it's his last shot. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, he's, he's gonna, he's gonna be up for it. I really like the, the Uruguay team. Yeah, I've been I've been saying for a while that team, especially in their group, that they they could they could win their group. They they um because I have who, them winning the group. Yeah, you do. Who's who's the other one in their group? That's right. It's uh, Portugal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that I mean, the Portugal Uruguay game is one of the ones I'm looking most forward to in the group stage. That's one of the key matchups. I'm looking. Is there is there another game like or two or three that that you're like this contest? Not necessarily just because of the teams, but also at what point of the group stage it happens, right? Because you've got some matchups that sound good, but it'll be the third game. By then, it may not matter. So I, I don't know. Are there any games that you've kind of matchups you've thought of like this one? I just cannot miss. No, but the one matchup I'm praying for is an Argentina Portugal final because if both of those teams win their group, it's possible, I believe. No, I, I think you're absolutely right. I think that I, some people have put together all the numbers on this that like, yeah, how many appearances Messi would have, how many appearances Ronaldo would have, what the goals would be like, like they would just tee up to this perfect pinnacle narrative yeah. wise. Yeah, that would be that 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 would be quite quite mouth and eye watering at the same time. Yeah, I agree. I in in the group stage for me, aside from that uh, Portugal Uruguay game. Spain Germany I think is going to be fascinating because Japan's going to be lingering in that group just kind of hanging out waiting to see like if there's an opportunity yeah, what happens yeah I mean but Spain Germany for me those are two of my tournament favorites and those it, it, it's there's a funny part of it of like what Bayern has been doing to Barcelona over the last few years and a lot of the players from Germany and, Barca, and, yeah. and it's just so many so like there's just something there that I think might might make that game uh just a real cracker and then um a game that I would be looking forward to if I wasn't so worried about it would is France Denmark because they play each other so frequently in World Cups and Denmark have never really gotten the edge on France and I I do think this is their time this is their moment uh there's people saying Denmark will be like the sort of Croatia this year and go really deep do you Ericsson's back. He's got his pacemaker. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah. Um, you know, I think they were unfortunate to lose to England in the in the Euros. They they weren't a very bad team, but they're, they're for me, I, I don't want to say they're gonna be like the Croatia because there's no one I'm really excited about in that team. There's no one where I'm like, ooh, you know what? He could the, these two or three players, you gotta watch out for him. Um so so I think they're just a average team. Maybe they'll get an upset and then, you know, that momentum will carry over and through into a deep run. But 
But for me, I, I don't see anything happening with them. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I, it, it, for them, I think a lot of it does come down to how well they can handle their group stage, and then and then I mean, this World Cup, providing the big teams do win their groups, then a lot of second place teams will get bounced in the in the yeah that's the first thing. knockout round, uh, or it sets up like massive upsets, upsets yeah. right away. So I, th- this is the cool thing. It's it's funny because as the 2018 world cup for me was like the best I'd ever seen because already there were so many great goals in the group stage and a lot of goals, but there was like, you just didn't know how the groups were going to end until like really each final game. And uh, I've looked at this one and I'm like, man, there's some groups, two or three that could easily be wrapped up by, by the end of day two or by the end of match day two for them, which you know, kind of takes away from some of those, just that like, oh, how's the bracket going to look? Who's going to be going? Uh, this World Cup just, it's the way the groups are and the way they're structured. There isn't really a group of death. You know what I mean? So, no, there's not. It's pretty even. Yeah. And so in a weird way, it's like this one might sort of be straightforward or it might be total chaos. I, I'm, I'm, I have no idea what to expect in that way. And, and like you said, that's the World Cup. That's what makes it so fun. Yeah, that's the thing. You never know. You never know. And uh, I, one of the things that – so actually, I mean, you watched the Euros. You, you clearly paid attention to a lot of it. What, what was your um, goal of the tournament from, from the Euros? Which one did you – Ooh, from the Euros. Yeah. Because I, I, to lead into the next one, what, do, what did you think? Um, I'm trying to go through the goals in my head right now because I don't want to miss out on a, on a big one and then have it, um, come back. Well, there's like Patrick me, Schick, right? Yeah. Um, Luka Modric, the Travella, Paul Pogba's crazy banger against Switzerland. Uh, oh, for me, for me, I think because other? of the vibes that it brought the the cane penalty against denmark because that's when everyone was like oh my god like we're winning the euros um and obviously that didn't happen but but for me the vibes i was in a english pub for it and uh-huh. i was like wow no nah, no nah, you know what they could win it they could win it like I, I was on the bandwagon with them um so so i know it's not the most exciting goal or the most beautiful goal but but it brought a lot of passion, so so I like that one the most. Uh, you're a great contrarian. You know how to pick niche ideas. You're like, no, no, no. The best goal of that tournament was a penalty. I've never yeah. heard anyone say that. That's awesome. Yeah. I like that. Well, and I mean it, it, that that does that does say a lot, right? I mean, you know how how does how does the vibe of a goal go? And I, I think when you when we talk about vibes, that Pogba goal against Switzerland to go three one up, it just like it was so bizarre because I mean I was course rooting for france and then they were playing awful and then Uri saves that penalty that would have put them two nil down and then they i mean i the football they played for the next 20 minutes was some of the best it was the best football of the tournament those 20 minutes and then that goal i remember when they scored i was like i cannot believe that they've just done this like they've just turned it around with the most ridiculous level of class and skill and at that point i was like okay well now, it, like, if they go back to doing what they were doing in the first 60 minutes of the game, they might not win this. It's not over. And I remember having this whole thought process in my head and then watching it just go off a cliff towards the end was yeah. like it was it was like reading a book that you're like, I have a feeling I know how this is going to end. And I don't know if I. All right, I'll finish it. I'll finish. It. Oh, come on. <laughs> or honestly, I would say um, the last Swiss goal, because. Like five minutes before it, it cut to a fan who was looking super distressed in the in the crowd. This is the meme where the guy hit back his shirt to him off. After the, yeah, shirt <laughs> off. He's going crazy in the stands. So that's all. That also could be up there for goal of the tournament just because of the moments around it. So I, I think that's a cool idea. Because my question was going to be, what kind of goal do you think? Just I mean, you have no idea. But like, what kind of goal are we going to really look back on and see? That's the one. I mean, James Rodriguez chest and volley in Brazil. That was one of the big ones there. Um, you know, I mean, uh, Patrick Schick's goal at the Euros blew me away. I was like, wow, that you don't normally see this on this stage. Like, 
who does that kind of thing. Um, I was going to say, I think this time around, it's going to be a link up goal. It's going to be a lot of interplay, a lot of close touches and a, in, or a lot of tight touches in a, in a, in a close area. It's going to slip a player through and they're going to chip it over the keeper. Sounds like a messy goal. Could be a messy goal. I could see it happening with England. I could see it happening with Germany. I could see it with, happen with any number of teams. So I'm going to go for the biggest likelihood. So I'm going to remember all this and see how clairvoyant you really are because. Uh... Okay. <laughs> but no, I, I actually really like that idea because it, it is more players aren't really shooting from range as much uh, these days. Like no, it's just yeah. fewer shots from outside the box are, are taking place. And that interchange at the top of the box with specific types of players is really kind of in vogue at the moment, especially when we look at the way PSG are playing, the way City play, the way Barcelona have played for a long time, and also the way Real Madrid have been playing with sort of the, the Vinny, Benzema, Valverde, that those connections. Um, so I, I think that's a great shout. We, we might see some of the best combination goals in, in in World Cup history this time around. And like you said, maybe a chip over the keeper sounds very messy like or or I mean Brazil are a team that can crank out these kinds of things all the time as well. So France too. Yeah. Well without Benzema I'm really unconvinced. Although I know Griezmann's there and I mean Giroud does does post up well. So you know yeah. and this Giroud might actually score a World Cup goal. Who knows? Sorry who? Uh, Giroud. Oh yeah, no, he could. Yeah, because <laughs> he didn't. He didn't last time. He didn't even get an assist. No, no, he didn't. Um, which I thought was interesting. But no, he, I, I, I like, I like Giroud a lot when he was at Arsenal and um with Chelsea. I thought he was a very good player. Um, even though he's a little bit past his prime these days. Well, he's still banging him in at AC Milan. It's kind of unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, he is. So before we wrap this up, because this has been great, it's it, as a little World Cup preview right after the first match, just to get our appetites wet. And we don't know, we don't know what's going to happen, but we'll uh, we'll definitely keep up as it goes. Are there any other things, whether they're on pitch, off pitch, any other things that you've sort of been sounding off on lately? Things that you think are interesting, important, whatever. Um, we hit on most of them today, but I would say. The biggest theme I think that we've kind of been talking about for the past hour or so is that you never know what's going to happen. It's that beauty of unpredictability that that makes these games, these tournaments so interesting. And I just wish, you know, it happened in the summer. Teams had some rest. The players had some rest. They're fresh coming into this. We would have seen Benzema. We would have seen a lot of players um, play. We would have seen a lot of rested players. And it's kind of unfortunate. And um yeah that that's really all i gotta say i mean we, we hit on a majority of my points that that i wanted to make so yeah sweet yeah i mean the injury thing's a tough one i i think the number of players injured here i think the, i think the real issue is more that there wasn't like a two-week gap between yeah. games and the world cup because i, I think that two-week gap would have actually saved a, a, a big handful of players. Um, I mean, N'Golo Kante and Paul Pogba have been out since basically August, September. Yeah. You know, yeah. like certain players. Would've I mean, I, yeah. And and if it was in the summer, some players wouldn't have played because they were injured sort of yeah, at the end of last true. season. Uh, to me, what I've noticed is that the, the – I mean, Sadio Mane's injury is ridiculous. Like the last game for Bayern like a week ago. And, yeah. and you kind of wondered why on earth are teams playing with seven days to go before the tournament? There should have been a two week break. I think that would have made a massive, massive difference. Yeah, I know. But you just look at the schedule congestion. I mean, this was the time of year or we're about to enter the time of year where it gets crazy, like basically a game every couple of days. And then you had Arsenal, I think, playing nine games in just the month of October alone. Or maybe it was this month. No, October. I think they played nine games, which is a game basically every three, four days. Which yeah. is which is crazy to accommodate this World Cup, um. So so it is I unfortunate, think, but like you said, there are players that would have missed also if it was in the summer. It always are, but I, I and I think you're right that just the football calendar this year. What on earth were they thinking? I mean, like if you know the World Cup's going to be in in the winter time, why would you load two games a week for all club teams in the fall? Like I don't know for this year, get rid of the like league cups right because every country yeah. has those get rid of those 
um, maybe postpone like FA Cup, like the the actual or Copa del Rey, the all those. Just postpone them till at, or, well, maybe not even the summer. Just start them up in February, you know, or whatever. Like it just seemed very strange to overload the schedule so much when you could easily plan to not do that. That, and this is where I was like, man, I feel like this is where leagues and clubs had to cave to broadcasters maybe because no one wanted the players have been talking about how they didn't want to have this schedule for such a long time. And I know the world cup being in the winter changes the calendar, but it seems strange that things were not planned out. Like how do we make sure that teams and players are fresh going into November? And then we can overload them after January because well, they'll have a transfer window to do that and and to prepare for the second half of the season. I thought that was disappointing that they've had so much time to make sure that it wasn't what it, I mean, this fall has been ridiculous. I mean, it wasn't until Tuesday morning that people went, okay, leagues behind us world cup. And then all of a sudden Cristiano Ronaldo's like, well, wait, I have, something I got to something say. to say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of actually, I'd love to get your opinion on that. What, what did you think of the, of Ronaldo's explosive two-parter? Um, yeah, I just actually released a video on TikTok yesterday talking about it. Um, I thought he came up. I understand what, why he said what he said. Um, I think he's very aware of what he's doing. He's very aware that he's going to force a move. Um, I think yeah. Ten Hag told him on Thursday, um, you're not going to be in the squad. And then he basically just called up Pierce Morgan and was like, nah, I'm out of here. Um, get me out of here. Um, I think he came off, of course, a little egotistical, a little arrogant at times, but I mean, kind of used to that um a little spoilt as well i mean but i mean what are you gonna do um well it's ronaldo right like yeah expect anything else it's ronaldo um i i just think it's kind of immature in a way um i just think he hasn't really come to grip that he's not the player that he was he he's just not like father time is undefeated we've seen it with kobe at the end of his career we've seen it with mj at the end of his career trying to force things that aren't there trying LeBron to run right now. Yeah. LeBron right now is a, is a great example. I mean, trying to force things that you're just not that guy anymore, as much as you want to be, as much as you were, you're not anymore. And I mean, he, Ronaldo's not starting for a bang average man United team. Um, and that says a lot in, in and of itself. Yeah, no, that's totally true. Well, we'll see what he can bring in this World Cup. I mean, it's his last chance to really put his mark on the international stage. And um, I mean, he's already won the Euros, but I, I do think, yeah, he's he's got his eye on this one. And he, and he has a hell of a squad next to him. So it'll be really, I mean, Portugal are going to be fun to watch, I think. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, but um, well, Rohan, this has been super fun, man. I'm, I'm really glad we got to do this and connect and just get get that connection between our two podcasts going and of course, like whatever we can do to just keep bouncing things off each other. I love your points of view. Definitely anyone listening, go check out the Kitman. It's a, it's a good podcast. I listen to you guys. Uh, you listen to your episodes now for the last few weeks, just been trying to keep up and, and yeah, you, just love the vibe. You guys are doing a great job being in different time zones. That is not easy. That is really not easy to try and coordinate. Part of the reason why I do this alone is because I can kind of do it when I want. The other problem is I don't have anyone to bounce stuff off of when I do solo episodes so i'd recommend anyone to go check you guys out keep up with you guys over the world cup and uh i mean clearly for anyone listening you hear rohan's got great ideas and uh, we're gonna have to see how how well your crystal ball works yeah no thank, thank you so much for having me and i appreciate the kind words well no worries dude let's uh let's enjoy it tomorrow usa wales england iran and of course senegal versus uh the wonderful netherlands the orange. Be a great world cup It will be. All right, everyone. Take it easy. Have a good one. Enjoy your World Cup.